Good morning, all. Um, my name is Paul Mandel, and I have the honor and privilege of serving as part of the volu volunteer preaching team. Um, I also have the fortune of being married to Lisa, um, and we have been coming here since like the third week back at the high school, like four moves ago. Um, for the past weeks, we have been preaching on the Psalms. Pete first spoke on Psalm 40 and trusting, in, trusting God in different times. Next, Barbara preached on Psalm 46, speaking of the city of God, our refuge, be it in Jerusalem or our own soul, where God resides. Barbara cited Psalm 46, verse 10, which goes, Be still and know that I am God, which, as it turns out, is the verse or mantra I use in my practice, what is called contemplative sit or contemplative prayer, through my work with Richard Rohr's male spirituality. I start with, you start with the full phrase in repetition, and, and then after some time repeat, be still and know that I am. And then after some time, be still and know. And then after some time more, be still. And lastly, just be, while you're meditating on those words. My appreciation goes out to Barbara for her, her, for her sharing that verse, and I will honestly confess that my, prayer, my practice of this prayer form or others is not as regular as I would like, certainly not daily, unless you count my calls for God's help or my giving thanks for things like a beautiful sunset or sunrise or some incredible cloud formation or maybe a lunar eclipse at 11 o'clock at night while everyone else is asleep. One of my favorite authors is Anne Lamott, um, especially her book, Help, Thanks, Wow. She speaks to the imbalance in most people's prayer lives between the calls for help and those prayers of thanks or wow, making the case that the latter two are far more appropriate, at least if you're paying attention to all the countless blessings around us. How about you? Do you find your prayer life more about your needs or wants or do you take time to thank God for the countless blessings or maybe expressing appreciation for some wow moment that just knocks you off, off your keister or blows your mind or whatever? Barbara, in her preaching, also ran through her personal checklist, if you will, of her relationship to God, including that of God as her refuge, her source of strength, her source of help, her path, of his presence regularly in her life as her protector and her joy. And she did so in such a strong, affirmative way that it inspired me to be better, or at least knowing that it's a work in progress. John spoke the next week of Psalm 1, the wisdom psalm, acknowledging that growth is always a long haul, while talking about his practice of dwelling or meditating on God's word. He cited the disciples on their way to Emmaus, as they walked along with Jesus before they recognized him and how their hearts and minds had been racing the whole time. That reminded me of my own prayer form that has proven to be more effective, that is journaling. I often find it to be a conversation with God, sometimes positive and at other times quite argumentative, even with God, which turns out often to be some of my best and my most honest prayers. Now, before diving into Psalm 19 itself, I wanted to reflect on the book of Psalms, as John did two weeks ago. 
Israel and the early Christians both used the Psalms as their divine handbook or their sung prayers, often from memory. Benedict, St. Benedict, 1,500 years later, used them for worship, putting them all together in the Book of Common Prayer, sometimes known as the Liturgy of Hours, regularly using all 150 psalms in the space of the week, something I first experienced firsthand back in the 70s at St. Anselm's in New Hampshire, first as a college student for my four years, and then for over a year and a half as a Benedictine monk there. You can still find this regular practice consisting of chant and sung prayer throughout the day from five in the morning till seven at night in the evening on any visit to St. John's, another Benedictine-run college just outside of St. Cloud. As for the Psalms themselves, Calvin recommended they serve as the main body of worship. Luther called them a mini-Bible, and C.S. Lewis referred to Psalm 19 itself as the greatest book in the Psalter, that is, the book of Psalms, and one of the greatest lyrics in the world. Today, one can find verse 9, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether, inscribed in stone at the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C. Now, I'd be the first to admit that when the preaching team first discussed uh, pre going, uh, preaching on the Psalms, I had to look through them all, one by one, and then only by process of elimination, I came to Psalm 19, mostly because of its creation theme. As nature has always been one of those special places where I most relate to God and God's presence and majesty. For most of my life, I have been an avid gardener, taking charge of our yard at home when I grew up in New York, dividing perennials, shaping our forsythia bushes or the shrubs in front of the house, or repairing bare patches of lawn. Fast forward some 20 or more years to when we had our first house on St. Paul's West Side after taking the master gardening program at the university, and I was planting perennials along every single fence line we owned, plus a big veggie garden. When we moved to our house here in Invergrove Heights, our sale document for the house actually noted that I would be taking half of all the plants with me, which worried the new owner a bit until her mom in front of me shared, he probably knows what he's doing and you won't miss them. Since then, our yard has gained multiple gardens, sharing space with a few, a few fruit trees, grapes, raspberries, Chinese kiwi that is still a work in progress, along with evergreens on the north and oaks and maples on the south. Over time, it's become a healthy, sustainable pollinator garden and a perennial source of enjoyment. While it's certainly far from a show place, nothing resembling better homes and gardens or anything worthy of serving as a model, it's a place where I can spend many hours just to ask my wife or my kids or my dog. <laughs> and while, and um, now I have a lilac hedge at the back, and I also serve on the landscape committee at my other church, St. Thomas Beckett, on their prairie burn team and help start their raised bed gardens, which due to the work of our volunteers contributed over 1,200 pounds last year alone to the open door food pantry in Egan. And now since I came out of retirement, I'm also working at Girton's part-time in the tree lot if you're looking for me. Psalm 19 reveals for us all God's glory displayed in full splendor through his created word, through his created world as well as the word he spoke. It is that world and that word 
from which we gain strength to always trust God in all things. Psalm 19 starts with these verses. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. Now these verses apply human action by use of metaphor to God's created world. Nobody speaks, but we can all see the moon and the stars and the sun along with the plants and the animals. And they make us feel something inside of our soul, in awe that something or someone made all this, and we give all credit to God. And we might put ourselves back in the time of the writing of the Psalms, when most everything in nature was unexplained and a mystery, no science to explain anything, and relate even to today's fascination with things like eclipses and northern lights here in Minnesota. In the following verses, we hear about the sun emerging, then traveling across the sky from one horizon to the other, giving warmth to all, much like that warmth found in God's love, shed on all, rich and poor, sinners and saints, followers and those who do not know Jesus. It reads, in the heavens God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of its chamber, like a champion running, rejoicing to run its course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. In the later verses, we see God referenced as Lord, and we hear about the book, that is the Bible, God's word, providing, if you will, operating instructions and warranty information. Just as nature is described as rightly ordered, so too the law found to be perfect and refreshing the soul, the statutes trustworthy, and the decrees firm and righteous. The awe held for nature so well ordered leads easily to trust then in the God who created it and in God's laws, acknowledging the righteousness of them all and describing them as more precious than gold and sweeter than the honey from the honeycomb. Lastly, the writer speaks to both the difficulty of keeping the commandments and the laws, as well as the reward of staying true to that law. These verses read as follows. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold, and they are sweeter than honey, the honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned, in keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sin. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgressions. Here at River Heights, our purpose is to love God, love people, and change the world. The first two come from the great commandments. And just think how different this world would be if more just practiced those two commands better. We could dramatically reduce gun violence 
end racism and maybe even world hunger. The laws and the statutes and the decrees, all indeed something that is trustworthy, righteous, and for which the reward is great. And lastly, a prayer from the mouth of the author as they close out the psalm, as we hear today later in the song from the worship team. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. One can easily view Psalm 19 as a series of three concentric circles, if you will. The outer circle, God's revelation in creation. The middle, God's instructions. And then the inner circle, the author, or David, David's struggle to keep the law and his plea for forgiveness. Psalm 19 is considered one of the wisdom psalms, referencing the natural order found in the created world and in the word, both of which serve to revive the soul. Reflection on such revelation requires a response, in this case, conviction and repentance. As the psalm ends with the words, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. Now, it has been said that the psalms connect us to God through promises and petitions, through acceptance and comfort, confession and repentance, at times through lament or complaint, but always showing the importance of reflection and meditation on what God has done for us. It is through that reflection that we come to trust more on God and on God's love, which makes all of our struggles easier. We trust every night when we go to bed that we will live to see the next day. We trust when we get behind the wheel or when we board a plane because we trust those behind such things strive for safety. We trust those in the medical profession when our health requires attention beyond our own beyond our own means. I trusted that the Spirit of God would give me the words to preach today, and then that the same Spirit would have each of you hear what you are supposed to hear. In a more, on a more personal note, I'm going to look back over 40, year, 40 years ago as I first decided to take my relationship with a person named Lisa to a new level. On one of my trips back to New Hampshire, I had a long talk and walk with my abbot at the monastery, who knew me by that time better than my dad, about how our relationship kept getting deeper and deeper despite or possibly because of our struggles. He spoke to me of my, and, and to my spirit of all the ways he had seen God moving in my life, first in my college years and then in the monastery and since, as we have continued to stay in touch. After working at the same federal office for several years, she had transferred to Michigan's UP for a biologist job, and I decided to finish off my grad program at full-time at Charlottesville, Virginia. We had agreed to stay connected and see where things were when we got back together again over Christmas break. During that last year, my dad ended up fighting his last battle with cancer. And on a trip back home for Thanksgiving, I was at mass with my mom, dad being too sick to come. And shortly after the homily, I received a deep sense of, of just peace from the spirit about where my relationship with Lisa was, and deeply convinced that God had been working in each of us through our hearts. And even though we were separated by 1,500 miles and hadn't seen each other for over half a year, I whispered to my mom that I was going to propose to Lisa 
and then shared that news with my dad over Thanksgiving dinner. On, our way back, on my way back to University of Virginia, I stopped in DC to visit Father George Murray, a good friend and Jesuit priest at Georgetown University who had been assigned to Holy Trinity, where I had been a parishioner and leader of the Young Adult Club for over three years. I asked him to reserve both his day and the church for the following October. His only concern was that I should ask Lisa first. So, so I promised to do that, and he promised to save the date. I told him I was trusting in her answer, but the truth was I was probably trusting that God had been working in her heart just as much as he had mine. And for those of you who don't know, she said yes. Although the way I put the question to her over the phone left a lot to be desired. And this October, we will celebrate our 40th wedding anniversary. Now, returning to the Psalms and considering how they help through petition, complaint, plea, or whatever way we approach our prayer with, I'd like to share a piece I learned about in writing this. And it was written over 100 years ago from a man, by a man named William Ernest Henley. It is called Invictus, meaning unconquerable or undefeated. It's a poem about the theme of willpower and strength in the face of adversity, much drawn from the fate assigned to many amputees or others at the time whose lives had been dr dramatically impaired based on Henley's own struggles with the disease tuberculosis. It goes, out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeoning of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade, and yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishment the scroll. I am the master of my fate. Of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. The last two lines of this poem were used by Winston Churchill in his address to the House of Commons on September 9, 1941, during the bombing of London by the Nazi Germany. The poem also helped serve to ground Congressman John Lewis when he was growing up as a teenager in the segregated and dangerous civil rights struggles of the 50s and 60s. It was used by Nelson Mandela during his 28 years in solitary confinement in one of South Africa's worst prisons serving to nurture his sense of hope against all odds. It also fed his soul, enabling him on release to not only turn the world upside down for the blacks of South Africa, but to create the exceptional Truth and Reconciliation Commission rather than resorting to revenge on all who had committed wrongs or atrocities. And the last stanza was used by President Obama in his speech at the memorial service for Mandela in December of 2013. I want to speak to the urgency of trust in God's help, as many of us have had to deal with trauma over these recent years. We are seeing a, <clears throat> we are seeing a massive assault on freedom and democracy in Ukraine as by Putin in his single-minded purpose and single-minded drive for power. At least two members here at River Heights are considering direct assistance and direct help of some of the Ukrainians who have made it here. 
refugees from other countries are suffering or dying as they try to escape economic, environmental, or violent threats to their lives, seeking only a better chance at a better life. They are coming face to face with the reality that often, because of their very religion or the color of their skin, they face obstacles others never know. We are approaching a normalization of life with COVID for the foreseeable future, just as we had in the past with other diseases, despite the death of over a million here in the United States alone. Here in Minnesota, we are coming out of what felt like an unusually long winter. Our country continues to suffer from polarization, in part due to the internet and the proliferation of misinformation and hate that some have compared to the times of the Civil War and at a time when our need for unifying spirit, especially here in this country, is greater than ever, there is an ever-widening gulf amidst our faith communities as literally everything has become political in the worst sense. And it doesn't take much to imagine how today's young adults and kids look at the world we are handing them with serious despair. I suspect much like how some of those of us who grew up in the 60s had to question those in control and what they were thinking. I would encourage each of us here today to look at every single meeting with another person or every chance we get to walk amidst God's created world and nature and see each of these as an opportunity to see God walking with us directly in different ways, speaking to us possibly in a voice or creating a new relationship or maybe just leaving us with an, an insight into the unique beauty of God's love for us. Such a time as this requires a strong centering, rooted in a hope that for better times and a trust in a source that we can place faith in. Can you see that need for God? Do you give these things much thought intentionally and take peace and take refuge in God? At this time, I would ask the worship team to come back up and ask if you need prayer today for whatever, personal need or um, if something has troubled you or something that I spoke to today might have affected you. We have prayer teams te trained to pray with you and many who have completed the School of Kingdom Ministry, sometimes known as SACM, earlier this year or offered in the past. And I'd ask those from either of these groups to come forward. For, and if you feel the need for prayer, something personal or whatever, come forward during these next two songs. We do have some prayer team members, I hope, that come forward. Do not hesitate to come forward during this time. And then lastly, for tips. One, read Psalm 19 and meditate on it, any one part of it, even the last verse that will be sung in the song. Secondly, spend some time outside, reflecting both on God's beauty and countless blessings, as well as where God might be calling you to apply your God-given talents to help make this world a better place. And lastly, take some time in each encounter with another person to see God in that person. And then share God's love, not just in words, but from your heart.